Good evening, and welcome to the Snake River Lid Podcast. Yeah, I know, it's really late, and I apologize for that. Thank you so much for listening, by the way. Um, we'll make it short since it's so late, but there are a few things that I wanted to kind of talk about and hit about. Of course, probably the biggest news that since occurred since the drop on Monday is the release of the Durham Report. John Durham's, uh was a U.S. attorney turned into a special counsel uh, by uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr to investigate the origins and the validity of the origins of what became Crossfire Hurricane or the Russian collusion delusion. Uh, John Durham's been working on that now for over three years, Um, and he released his report Monday. Essentially, the report was, or mentioned that there was insufficient rationale to begin Crossfire Hurricane, other than as a political hit piece, and he goes so far as to affirm much of what uh, the the Inspector General for the FBI, Department of Justice, has stated regarding the the Keystone Cops apparatus that was the FBI under James Comey. Rogue actors, which, of course, Christopher Ray today, the current director, says, well, we've already taken corrective measures to fix all these problems, and so there's nothing to see here. And, of course, the media, um, especially with the likes of Peter Strzok and and, um, Andrew McCabe, both of whom have considerable to to lose on the Durham Report's findings, leading the charge. And, of course, the networks is... Uh, the broadcast networks as well as CNN and MSNBC are all too quick to jump on, on board. They're desperate to to um, uh, provide cover for their narrative for their destruction of the Trump presidency as well as what they put this country through during, well, leading up to the Trump presidency and afterwards. You know, it's one thing when when uh, you're able to point out the, the flaws of someone, but when you spend so much time pointing out what isn't true uh, in accusations about the, the former president of the United States, what do you end up? You become, you become uh, one of these uh, uh, Trumpers, or you appear to be, even though you've been on record pointing out many numerous flaws. And President Trump, and but believe me, we're going to cover a few of those today. But when you spend all this time trying to say, "Well, no, that's not true," I mean, and yet we still echo it. You know, you, the, the president just this past weekend at uh, Howard University, he he goes on, and we talked about this the last time. You know about white supremacy, and he talks about, and he rehashes the same old thing that has gone on since the very beginning of the Trump presidency in that, you know, Charlottesville, Virginia, if you remember, there was a, a clash between groups that wanted to tear down Confederate statues and those that wanted to preserve them. Those groups are the groups that 
President Trump referred to as a lot of fine people on both sides. These are not, by the way, neo-Nazis, skinheads, white supremacists, because in the same breath that he mentioned the groups that are that were skirmishing uh, counter-protests over removal of statues, the president in the next breath proceeded to condemn those ultra-right-wing um, extremist groups, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, etc., said that he specifically was excluding them when he said those fine people or fine people on both sides. And yet, to this day, uh, Joe Biden says that the president, President Trump, had stated that neo-Nazis were a bunch of fine people. And even the Washington Post, of course, at the time, gave uh, Joe Biden the liar, liar, pants on fire rating. And have every time that he stated that. And yet it persists. It's something that never Trumpers hang on to with with all their dear life to, to rationalize their, their uh, Trump derangement syndrome. But so the Durham report essentially pointed out, and then uh, Durham goes on to, to, to point out, to contrast the FBI's approach to the Clinton campaign where she had her own server contrary to federal law, where it was unprotected and had classified documents on that server, but she destroyed it and she bleached, you know, used a tool bleach bit when nobody had ever heard of that. Well, at least normal people. And she was allowed to destroy evidence with physical evidence, with very physical and very real hammers. And yet, James Comey, the FBI director, said that there was insufficient evidence to prosecute a case. And yet, with far less, President Trump was hounded for his entire presidency. Now, of course, some liberals or progressives are quick to point out John Durham spent, you know, three years and $6 million in his investigation. And for what? to tell us something that, that what the IG had said. Well, that's not exactly true either, but let's just go with it. I mean, he essentially confirmed, and then some, what the IG had reported, if you took the time to actually read the IG reports. You know, those are being reported on falsely now. But to say, I mean... Durham proved, well, uh, sub submitted that that there's an incredible amount of political bias that drove the whole Russian collusion delusion. You know, and I very simply with uh, Congressman Schiff, it said, okay, Congressman, let's see your evidence. You said you had physical evidence. You to this day stand on having this physical evidence that that is incontrovertible. Let's see it. He can't produce it because it doesn't exist. 
the six and a half million dollars that John Durham spent is chump change compared to the well over $30 million that Robert Mueller spent on the Mueller report, which essentially proved that, well, it didn't prove anything. It was written in such a way as to provide lots of innuendo. But at the end of the day, there was nothing that they could hang an indictment on. Very similar, except for that It costs five times as much and was a complete bust. I uh, just finished watching an interview um, with Vivek Ramaswamy that John Stossel did. I'm probably going to link the uh, video on the the remarks for the podcast. Uh, It's 50 minutes long. Um, Very interesting interview. Very, very interesting. Uh, If you want to see see some aspects of, of Vivek Ramaswamy, he's trying to run as a candidate for the Republican nomination for President of the United States in 2024. The more I listen to him, the more I read his stuff, the more I like him. This John Stossel Stossel interview uh, affirmed everything and then some regarding my opinion of him. And so if you have the 50 minutes, watch the video. If you don't, I'll probably link uh, John Stossel's column, which is just a real, real brief Forgive me, review of the video. Let's move on, shall we? Because there's a few other things that came out. Marco Rubio, Senator Rubio from uh, Florida, released a COVID report um, uh, focusing intently on what was going on in China in the year and change leading up to when COVID became popular or became known globally. Uh, Some of the the timelines in China, for example, the fact that travel in and out of Wuhan was extremely restricted well before the West knew anything about, about COVID. And when I say restricted, I should only say that restricted within China, because we have highlighted here before, right at the very beginning of the podcast era, for the lib, that Wuhan, huge Chinese New Year celebration right as the pandemic got started. And probably you can trace the global spread of the pandemic, even presuming, for example, that this, this virus began in a wet market, which is extremely unlikely. China, had they wanted to infect the world, could not have done any better had they intentionally done it. But here's the truth. Domestic travel in and out of Wuhan was restricted leading up to uh, the time period in question. And yet people, millions of people from all over the world flew into Wuhan province 
for the Chinese New Year, and then they flew back to their international locations, taking them unknowingly taking with them the virus and spread it. It's right out of Tom Clancy, uh, to be honest. But uh, Senator Rubio does a really good job of pointing out all these issues point by point as they as they occurred on a timeline. Makes it real easy to draw certain conclusions, and perhaps in, that's inappropriate. But it points out stuff that is probably not commonly known. I've known a lot of it, uh, you know, reading and such that I do that that, you know, we knew, for example, that Taiwan knew in December of 2019 that this virus could pass from human to human. And they even sent uh, uh, appropriate uh, warnings to the WHO regarding that. And the WHO, as late as mid to late January, was saying, no, this cannot be uh, passed human to human, even though Taiwan had already given them the information otherwise point out that it finally became known because doctors seeing, raising the alarm, seeing the people getting sick and the numbers that they were, doctors getting sick and doctors dying, finally made it, made it so it could not be contained. You know, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy points out that there's no time where secrecy is the preferred manner when it comes to issues of global concern. The Chinese know, know anywhere from September, October, November of 2019 uh, that they had a problem and they, they buried it. They took databases offline. They silenced medical staff. trying to contain the information until the deed was done. Like I said, if they'd wanted to do it intentionally, and I'm not accusing China of spreading, I'm certainly not accusing them of that. But if they had wanted to spread it globally, I'm not sure how they could have done any better had they intentionally tried to do so. Very important thing that's come out is uh, from uh, Senator Rubio. One of the two to change gears, we'll come back to Trump in a minute, but there's a hit piece. I don't know what else to call it on 60 Minutes this past Sunday regarding um, the investment arm of the Church of Jesus Christ for Latter-day Saints. Now, full disclosure, I am a member of that church. Don't have any inside knowledge of it, but I do have some information that the 60 Minutes reporter, they, the, the report essentially was that the church is maintaining this huge fund, which they have a uh, uh, this investment fund. And whether or not they are, they are within the law or not, it's very interesting to just, you have to remember that this whistleblower, that's what they're calling him, this whistleblower, his, fam, his wife and, had already left the church. The wife was pressuring him to leave the church. He could not continue to work at Ensign uh, and uh, Peak Investments. 
um, because he had to be a member in good standing and with his wife. And it's not because his wife had left the church and become hostile towards it that he had to leave. It's because he was he was going to go along with her. And because of that, his ability to actually sit and manage uh, things at Ensign Peak was compromised. He said that there's upwards of $100 billion. I don't know, really don't even care. Uh, within the report that 60 Minutes had, it's very interesting. They report that, you know, church brings in some $7 billion a year uh, in revenue from tithing and, and other sources. And $6 billion of that is, is spent on maintenance, upkeep, salaries, um, charitable work, extensive charitable work, which is incalculable when you base the number of hours on members across the country, across the world, I'm sorry. And so the church has this fund. And the question, of course, poses, well, if you've got this fund, you know, why are you sitting on this fund instead of using it to better mankind? Well, let me explain a few things, dear listener, for those who are not familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and specifically its history. The church was driven out of New York. The church was driven out of Ohio. Uh, not by... I mean, they were driven by apathy from the government to protect the rights of the church to exist, as well as the citizens' um, right to worship as they would. They were driven out by mobs. Many times, in the case of Illinois, which is ultimately what led to the um, exodus to the Salt Lake Valley, the mob that ended up killing the prophet Joseph Smith, the first president of the church, had been initially called up as militia to protect um, society in that in that area, Quincy, Carthage, Illinois, etc., to maintain law and order. And then they were dismissed. And what did they do? They became a mob. They went and they stormed the jail, and they killed the prophet and his brother, wounded John Taylor, who was ended up being the third president of the church in the jail under under protective custody of the government of the state of Illinois. After Ohio, they were driven out of Missouri under threat of death and an extermination order issued by then Governor Lilburn Boggs, where any Mormon, is, is the slur was then, uh, that did not vacate their property. I mean, most of Kansas City, Swope Park, etc., a lot of that property was property that was owned legally and lawfully by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they had to abandon that property because they were driven out of Jackson County, driven north, uh, ultimately driven out of out of the counties of uh, Caldwell and, and Davies counties, driven to Illinois, where the prophet was murdered. 
and since then, uh, there was, of course, the Utah War, where the federal government waged war, waged war against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Actually, sent soldiers to um, the territory of Utah to remove Brigham Young as the governor to to establish federal presence. Utah War. Look it up. Were the saints guiltless in all this? Absolutely not. There's, we've highlighted, if not here, I know over on the rim, I've highlighted a, a few things um, about the era. But the federal government, especially with the anti-bigamy laws, um, trying to take down the church, you know, took much of the church's property in Utah into receivership for a time because of church leaders um, living choosing to live the law that God provided up until the time the President Woodruff of the church uh, essentially ended plural marriage. Um, the church faced various uh, um, crises of, of debt and such over the century uh, following that, which led to the establishment of this fund so that in the event that church members are not able to to pay in as they should perhaps because they won't have any money themselves that the church will be able to have the funds to withstand a lack of funding coming in they will be able to continue to administer its programs globally Many questions that 60 Minutes did not ask this alleged whistleblower. I'm not going to go into details, but, you know, I don't know. It's to me, it's just it was it was a hit piece. There's no question of that. You have this whistleblower again is. His wife had already left the church. He wife was pushing him to leave the church. And so he was going to do what she wanted. Um, and, of course, he was going to lose his job because of that. And so what did he do? He, he went to establish himself a, a, a safety net. If you want to compare him to the unjust parable of the unjust steward, that might not be the worst comparison. I'm not trying to slur him or slander him. I'm not. But there's more to the story than what 60 Minutes presented in 60 Minutes, um, which if you go back in time, Mike Wallace did a great interview with uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley um, uh, years and years and years ago. Larry King had done interviews with church leadership, you know, not an adversarial relationship. And yet um, these are troubling times. We're drawing, drawing lines in the sand these days between as um, Dumbledore would say that we're all going to have to choose between doing the right thing or doing what's easy. I just wanted to end with this and I mentioned this at the very beginning. You know, President Trump for whatever reason, is giving plenty of ammunition if Trump is not the nominee 
to defeat, in particular, Ron DeSantis. You know, he's maybe, I don't know if he's just pulling the, all the oppo stuff out. Maybe that's what he's doing so that the Democrats can't hit with it later. But it's pretty cheesy, you know, the latest ones. I mean, you know, we've mentioned before the the whole DeSantis in Congress trying to actually work to to shore up Medicare and Social Security in spite of de- the very Democrat-like ad that Donald Trump is running against DeSantis regarding Medicare and Social Security. It's an ad that 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 uh, Joe Biden would be proud of, Mr. President. So good job. But equally as bad is is the latest slam on Ron DeSantis, which is a support for the fair tax. The fair tax on on the surface looks very hideous. You know, twenty three percent sales tax. Of course. What's dis? What's not mentioned in, in the ad is the fact that, with that twenty three percent sales tax, you won't have any income tax anymore. No one will. So if you're paying well, federal income tax. So if you're paying federal income tax, you know if you're one of the fifty, or forty nine percent that are actually paying federal income taxes, um, that's gone. However, if you're working, you are paying a 13% Social Security Medicare tax. You might say, well, no, I'm only paying 6.5% between the two of them. Well, no, because your company has to put it, has to match what you're putting in. So that is a that is on you. Essentially, that's that's compensation that perhaps you would receive had it not existed. So it's a 13% on your income. And mind you, because the, the fair tax, which which is what they're talking about, is not a tax on income. There is no tax on income under the fair tax. Under fair tax, the 16th Amendment, the ability to tax income is abolished. The 16th Amendment is repealed, so there will be no new federal income tax. Just the sales tax. And and what's equally important? So you say twenty three percent. Well, that's that's okay. So thirteen percent, and again, half the people don't pay federal income tax. So that still leaves ten percent tax that many people are 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 stuck with. True, except that the fair tax that that Ron DeSantis. Uh, had had apparently I haven't looked to see what his record is on that, but I'll take the the Trump's uh, Democrat ad at its word because it's a perfect ad for a Democrat. A Democrat couldn't have had one any better, Mr. President, to be honest. What the ad doesn't mention is that part of the fair tax is a prebate, a prebate which is designed to, for those families, well, for all families, everybody gets prebate. And it's based on cost of living. If I remember correctly, I haven't read it recently enough to 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 be updated. So forgive me for that. But essentially, where you live, the number of members uh, of uh, family members that you have within your household, and and certain costs are are factored in, and you're given a check, regardless of how much you actually spend on the market. So let's say that you spend all of your money, so you have a 23% of your income sales tax. 
well, you're going to get a bunch of that back because because uh, um, how much you spend on food, how much you spend on certain services, that's all factored into that prebate, and you're going to get a check every month from the government for that. Power off. That's part of the fair tax model. So houses you know, that are currently not paying income tax, and well, actually everybody is. It's just the percentage is greatly more great is greatly amplified for those that are not paying taxes. They're going to get more money back. in the form of the prebates. So, Mr. President, this is an extremely dishonest ad. It's bad enough that, you, that people are having a campaign against against uh, Biden ultimately in the election. That's what the election should be all about. But what you're doing is you are, you are taking conservative principles, you know, the need to strengthen Medicare, Social Security, until you can figure out something else because those systems are dying on the vine. The need is there. What's your proposal, Mr. President? And as to tax reform, there's no greater tax reform than the fair tax. On the surface, it looks bad, but I expect you to do more than be a Democrat on this, Mr. Trump. I would expect you to actually lead. That's all the time we have for tonight. Actually, I didn't expect to go this long. Thank you so much for listening. My life matters is yours. It's the lid.